Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. Today, I'm here with Cami for our Digital Nomad Digest segment. And today, we are going to be chatting about money and finance, one of my personal favorite topics. But we're going to be looking at more specifically credit cards. We're going to be talking about some of the perks, some of the benefits, how you can get into certain credit systems. I'll share closer to the end what that can look like and what my journey and some of my clients' journeys have looked like as well. But Cami, I feel like you, so we are from, we come from very different cultures, backgrounds. So I'm curious for you growing up in Brazil, what it looks like in terms of what your family taught you, the values around money and finance, but also maybe more specifically here, credit cards as well. And what that journey has looked like for you from a young age into now being an adult. I love that question because I'm really curious about your answer as well. I would say that like the majority of people, I grew up in a household that the my parents kept repeating that money, money doesn't grow on trees, things like that. You know, it was much more of a lack slash lack mentality slash let's use let's gather up the most amount of money that we can so we can feel safe as a little of backstory my father's side of the family is jewish and my grandparents they were expelled from egypt because they were jewish right after they got married so they had all of their businesses all of their accounts all of their resources their apartments everything was frozen and was taken by the government from like one day to the other it was literally like in an instant and they lost basically everything and they had to choose one country to go to and for several different reasons bureaucratical reasons they chose brazil to go to and my grandfather he did have a business there in egypt that was shut down and things like that so when they arrived to brazil they only had i think it was like 300 dollars or 500 dollars at that time for i don't know seven people and they really experienced the sensation of losing everything, you know, of having the rug pulled from underneath them. And I think that that informed a lot of how my dad was taught about money and how he then taught us about money. So it was always very much save, 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 save the most amount that you can, but not really invest. It was much more like save and have a savings. So you are then safe then like invest or take the risk about in, on investing or grow your money in any way like and i know that there are investments that have really low risk but we were never really taught that as but my dad grew up with the fear of unsafety and my mom grew up with the reality of i can have the i can i have the resource inside of me i'm resourceful for en enough to make ends meet and to make myself feel safe so it was really interesting to kind of like grow up with these two mentalities and kind but they all ended up going down the same route of you have to save your money, be smart with money, money doesn't grow on trees, you have to work hard for your money, blah, blah, blah. All of this, you know, normal, like, unfortunately, normal things that we hear about. 
when it comes to credit in Brazil, I don't know how it is in Canada. I know how it is in the US. In Brazil, we don't have a lot of like student loans and things like that. So it's not super normal for you to and start your life after college with debt. Like that's not a very normal thing. But one thing that is very kind of specific to Brazil or maybe South America, I don't know, that we have and in other countries, I know that it's more new here is like payment paying installments. It's something that we call parcelamento, it's, which is some uh, retailer do like it's an agreement that re the retailer do with the, the retailers they do with the bank. And then I myself, if I'm buying like something that is even it doesn't have to be that expensive or if I'm buying something that is, I don't know, say 100 reais, I can split that into a monthly payment of X amount of installments. So that is very, very common in Brazil. It's called parcelamento. And it's something that it's starting now here in Europe with Klarna and like some of this like credit kind of like that you don't really realize that are credit here in, in Europe. I don't know if that's the case in the US or anything. I think maybe it is. But yeah, in Brazil, that was something that is that's something that's so normalized. So I guess that you have a lot of people that are kind of like paying endless installments throughout their like multiple on multiple different things because it's not even big things, you know, like normally you pay installments for like a car or like mortgage or something like that. We use it for like buying shoes. You know, it's really normal if you buy shoes, if you buy I don't know, clothes to pay installments. So you can just like split it on a lot of installments. And in Brazil, it's quite easy to get a credit card. Whereas I know that here in Europe, it nearly like it's kind of like out of question even. It's just like the norm to use credit cards. But as in the rest of the world, we don't have a lot of education on. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm pretty sure that I don't know for sure. But I'm pretty sure that the whole concept of installments started in the U.S., which I would not be surprised. Um, but I know that they've had it for quite a while. And then it's kind of started to pop up in other countries in the last few years. And we were in Colombia less than a year ago, uh, like at some point in 2023. And I mean, a lot of countries in Latin America, but specifically Colombia, it is so inexpensive to live if you're a foreigner. But it's because the local salary is so, so low. I know most countries here, we usually will ask the salaries of the locals whenever we're traveling. And it, it's usually around like 500 USD, something like that per month. Like it's not a lot. But Colombia was definitely one of the lower ones. And even in their H&M, like the stores that they have, they were, you would see everywhere, like no interest for three months, like pay in installments. And it's like, you're literally going shopping at H&M or like a Hollister or something. I think maybe it was like Abercrombie or something that we also saw it somewhere in Columbia, one of the nicer malls. And it's just wild to me because it's like something that used to be so normal where when we were younger, we would just go to the mall and you would have the money because things were not as expensive. But now you go to H&M and like I drop $100 minimum on just getting like a few very basic items of clothing. And that was 100% not the case, at least in Canada, I'm sure in probably most countries around the world 20 years ago. So it's it's so interesting because things have gone up so much prices of basically everything, but the salaries just have not and just unfortunately can't keep up with that. So yeah, it's a really interesting concept for me. But I think that in terms of credit cards, it's it's interesting to me as well to hear your side of it. 
for credit cards and what that has looked like for you growing up. And I'm curious for you specifically, I know we were talking off air about reward credit cards and what that has looked like and what the culture is. And it's interesting to hear in Europe that it's a lot more difficult to get. That isn't, I don't really deal so much with the European market for credit, but I know a lot about the American market, which we can dive into. But I think that the Canadian market is very similar to the American market. And, you know, America is kind of like where all of this capitalism started. So I think we can all envision or we know what that market looks like. And the Canadian market, I found, is very similar to the American market in terms of credit and debt, unfortunately. But we just have worst credit card hacking potential. Whereas in the States, if you really want to do any sort of card hacking or trip hacking, I've had some people on the show as well who talk all about, you know, point transfers and getting your trips and your flights for basically next to nothing. And while that is a reality in a lot of countries around the world, and Canada included, it it can happen. Most of the coaches and most of the gurus, quote unquote, who are offering this, it's only in America. And anytime I hear about these people, I always ask them, like, where is this travel hacking based out of? If I have cards that are not American, can I take advantage of this? And the answer, you, it, it's sometimes, you know, if you have a few certain credit cards, if you qualify, if you have a high enough credit limit and high enough income and whatnot, you can get these cards in other countries. But the opportunities are just not there at all like they are in the U.S. So before we dive into that on my end, we definitely do have some interesting ways on how you can especially start funding your business with credit that is basically free for a year or whatever that may look like and how you can even get into the system as a non-American. I'd love to hear what your take on it looks like coming from a completely different culture and growing up in that. It's really interesting because one of the first things that I, when I moved here to Europe, my friend of mine that had been living here for a while already, she told one of the first things she told me was, by the way, when you open a bank account, don't even bother um, asking for or like wondering why you don't have you don't get a credit card it's because it's like nearly impossible not it's not impossible i don't know but it's not the norm you know i think that i don't know maybe in the us in brazil once you open a credit uh, once you open an account it's like this it's instant you know i've never heard of a case where so i have bank accounts in like i don't know how many countries like 10 countries or something like that around the globe Unless you're actually in that culture. So like you mm. have a permanent residency, you have so in America, you have to have the SSN in Canada, you have to have a SIN, like you really have to have the passport, be born there. That is when you can start getting into the credit system. You can almost never just like open a bank account and then become a credit card holder in their credit system. In Brazil, we have like N26 like this digital bank account. So we have a some like that. And I remember that one of their first things that they were offering, especially I think this one, which is called Nubank, Nubank I might be wrong, was a credit card. So it was really easy to get their credit card. It was like a really low limit, but they were offering like credit card like quite easily. It wasn't even a question of like, do you want a credit card? You know, it was like, ah, and here's your credit card, you know? So yeah, I think that maybe when you're younger, but at some point, I think it's quite normal, quote unquote, because they want you to spend money on that credit, you know, like they want you to, to, to kind of, even if you owe money, like, 
they were like, yeah, let's get on that. All those interests, you know, whereas I think that in a place like Europe, they are a little bit more cautious with credit. Brazil tends to model a lot like the US and things like that. In Brazil, we have like, whenever you're paying something, people always ask, is it credit or debit? It's super normal to ask that. Like, even if you're paying a lunch for $20, for 20 has like credit or debit. And sometimes we even had like this joke. It's like, it's credit, you know, it's like both of them or you're like, it's it's the joke of like, ah, it's the end of the month. So let's pay in credit. I think that is a lot because they want to move the economy in a way. And um, for us, it's also super normal, like to pay installments and things like that. And I remember that my French teacher here, we were having a discussion about Klarna and it was very, very creative criticized here and in the UK because it's a type of credit. People don't realize it's a type of credit. They just think that they're like payment in stop paying installments and they don't really realize what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. And she was asking and inquiring like why would so pay something in installments instead of paying it now and i to, like i am really used to this system so for example when i wanted to buy my birkenstocks which are quite expensive i didn't want to pay them all in once although i could but i was like i know that i'm gonna have the same amount of money coming in for the next like four months why am i just gonna spend all of this money now if i can buy it without interest in brazil then instead of buying it here i just waited until i was in brazil bought my Birkenstocks there, split it in like, I don't know, five months or something like that. So I was paying like really a small amount of money every month with a salary that I already knew that I was going to get every month. So like for me, it doesn't make a difference. It's just like kind of smart. I don't know, for me, it's like a smart move. Maybe I'm really, really wrong because I'm not paying interest. Then I'm just splitting the same amount that I would pay instead of like just putting a hole in my bank account in this month. I'm just like putting small and taking that into account when I'm like doing my budget for the month really interesting to me that that is your perspective. And thank you for sharing that because my partner who is Mexican has the exact same perspective and he's all about using leverage. So for, for, to a degree, I understand it and it makes sense, but it's when you to stack up these payments, especially if it's like for a couch or for a something. And then I would say once you have like more than two or three, then you're just like, I don't really know unless you can, of course, keep track of it. But most people aren't going to, you don't really know what is going to add up to be. So for me, it's really interesting, though, that that is your perspective, because my point of view growing up, growing up, we never had, you know, like Klarna and Afterpay and a firm like these things were not around when we were, I don't know, like going to the mall buying clothes. For me, my perspective has always been I have money in the bank. I am going to pay with that money now. And there's there's pros and cons to both. Like there really is no one way to do it. And so my partner likes to do it the other way around, more similar to you, because he's like, I can leverage the money if I'm not paying interest, if I know it's going to be in my bank account, I can leverage that money to use it for something else, like something for my business or whatever it may be. Whereas for me, my perspective is, well, I have the money. I'd rather pay it now. And then any money that I get in the future is a portion of that money is not going to the shoe. So it really just depends. Like, are you going to be spending all of the money in your bank account at the end of the month if you're going to have a huge purchase? You know, so it depends on every individual person's situation. But for me as well, something that comes into play with credit cards when I first got a credit card, I think it was like university. So I think you have to be 18 to get a credit card. So I was probably like 18 or 19. And it was the stupid like supermarket credit card. They give you like a free box of cookies. Um, and then they but to be fair, like my mom actually does still use that card because we've gotten I even got like hundreds of dollars in free groceries because it is like a grocery store card. So that was my 
first, actually maybe my second card, I think my first was like a really horrible bank travel card, but all of the cards I've had have given me some sort of point. So I feel like in our culture, in Canada and America, I know I can speak to for sure. I don't know how it is in Europe, but in Canada and America, you, they will always ask you like debit or credit, but they will usually just assume it's always credit because for me, I will always use my credit card. I treat it. And I guess this goes back to like how we were financially trained, if you want to say that, by our parents when we were younger, my brother and I, um, because we were never taught to put anything on credit. So I treat my credit card like a debit card, a debit card that gives me if I don't have money in the bank, if I know it's not something that I am going to pay off, then it's not something that I will spend. And I definitely do not spend. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of people's perceptions of credit cards who probably weren't taught about the basics of like finance and credit when they were younger, they see it as, you know, so like I, I just got a new Amex and it has like a pretty high limit. And so for me, my view of it is oh, this is great. Like this is going to be able to give me some leverage, but I'm never going to spend more than one know that I have and what I'm comfortable spending each month. Just because I have like a $10,000, $15,000 limit, whatever, doesn't mean that I'm going to spend $10,000 a month more. Because even if I have the $10,000 in my bank account, I don't want to be spending $10,000 a month and make that a habit. So I'm never going to spend. And that's why, and it's kind of like a hack. Once you start really understanding the credit system, you will continue to get higher and higher limits because your credit score is going to go higher and higher because you are paying it off every month. And then the higher that your credit limit is, the less you're going to be likely, the less you're going to be utilizing it. So the utilization rate also comes into play with when you're looking into your credit score. And there's so many factors. And I don't even think the credit system is really a good way of gauging because it's not, but it's just kind of like the best thing that the U.S. has right now and Canada and these other countries have right now. But utilization is a big piece of what your credit score is. So if you have a $10,000 limit and you're using $10,000 every month and you're paying $10,000 off every month, your utilization limit is going to be the highest it possibly can be because even though you're paying it off, you're utilizing that $10,000 every month. So it's a lot riskier for the banks or for the lender, whoever the provider of the card is, when they see like, okay, they're using this limit. So if they, for whatever reason, cannot pay it off, well, then you're at a higher risk. So your credit score is actually going to be lower. And that's just one of the, there's many different factors that go into credit. But I think once you start learning about what factors go into credit, you A, realize like it's not really the best system. It's just the best of what we have right now. But you also understand how you can play the game, how, and this is, this is more so I'm talking about just for personal credit, how you can start utilizing rewards and all these crazy things. Like, so for me, I have an Amex because Amex usually will give you the best rewards. And crazy, it's actually like accepted. I was very shocked. It's accepted in even like kiosks on the street here in Peru. They accept Visa, MasterCard, and Amex. I've never seen that anywhere else. But anyways, I just thought that was interesting. Um, but you start, once you start to accumulate these the, a higher credit score and it does take you know minimum six months like I would say probably give it a few years pay off your card in full do all of the things right and then you can start getting you know cards that have some sort of like a small fee but then the fees pay off they have free travel they have free concierge service they have free lounge access as well and I think like Amex will probably especially if you're a traveler will give you the best points you have to look at the, the currency conversion as well that's something that I've always really considerate of so I have some cards that are no foreign transaction fee and a lot of Amex, unfortunately, and a lot of cards actually in general, Visa, Amex, MasterCard, 
they will have some sort of conversion fee. So if you're not paying in that, in wherever the card is issued, so if it's issued in the US, if you're not paying in US dollars, then there will be a conversion fee. So it doesn't really matter where you're paying from. It's just what is the currency that is being charged to the card. So if I'm booking, so I always book my Airbnbs in US or Canadian, depending on where the card is from. But if I start booking an Airbnb in like Mexican pesos, it's going to charge me that currency conversion fee. So it's also kind of like playing the game, having multiple cards, know what I guess the interest rates are if you're not going to pay it off completely, but what good fine details are, the foreign transaction fee, all of these things that pertain to you and whatever your lifestyle may be. But that's more on the personal side of things. And then you can start to take advantage of, you know, like these crazy rewards where I think priority pass lounge access, you can pay like multiple hundreds of dollars per year just for that. Whereas with like a five or six hundred dollar Amex, you get I think it's like some of the cards. It varies like five or ten visits with a guest complimentary per year plus travel rewards plus like it'll usually give you a three month bonus reward if you spend like a few thousand dollars within the first three months and all of these other perks as well and then there's also this will be my last point because there's so many things I could say there's also the the phone insurance and sometimes there is other insurance as well for different tech products yeah that's more for the personal I don't know if you have anything that you want to add for that I can dive into the business side of things because it's really interesting but there's there's so many technicalities. I, I help clients do this, but I'm happy to like dive into that really quick. That's so interesting for anyone who would like more, like all of the things about credit that you said, it was, I learned just now reading Ramit's book, I will teach you to be, to be rich. So if anyone wants to, it's like one of the first chapters, he talked about credit and credit score. And he talks about like the pros and cons and the advantages of of credit cards versus like the disadvantage disadvantages of it. So if you are listening to this and you would like more information or to learn more about credit or something like that, make sure to grab his book. It's really, really honestly really, really good. However, as someone who's currently living in, in Europe and has like still residency and things in Brazil, the whole like credit system and everything, I could just like skim over it because it's like useless for me. Cause and like he we recommend credit cards and also banks in the US. So again, useless information for me. But the rest, like when you take out this chunk that is like specifically in the US, the rest is really, really interesting. And I would say that it was mostly through his book and this chapter specifically that I started realizing how ignorant I had been with my credit card because I have one credit card in Brazil and then I have one bank account in the UK that's like really useless and it's like a digital bank and then another one that's like the one that I most use which is N26. N26 has quite a lot of benefits especially when you go from like the free one to like the paid ones and I have a business account with N26 and I have cashback, I have like some other like rewards, I have some discounts with like their partners. I know like when you go to the maximum one you have like full travel insurance, you have medical insurance you have like phone insurance you have a lot of insurance you have more even more cashback so n26 has quite a lot of different rewards and then when i was comparing that with my credit card in brazil 
I realized that I have no cashback. My the point system that they have is really, really disgustingly shitty. The like their points kind of I don't know environment is shitty. And I have been I've like I've been with that account for the I don't know like almost ten years. I've had an account there. Like my limit is always growing because I pay like really well like my stuff and everything to the point that I'm even like low. I'm like I hate it. I hate it when they do that. They just like up my limit without asking me. But anyways, and. I always like pay a lot of amount like on my my things and everything. So when I saw that I was getting getting zero rewards for all of this money that I'm paying, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, like you're not giving me anything in return. I'm even paying every fucking month to have my account with you. Like, what are what are, what am I doing? It didn't even I don't know. It didn't even occur to me that that would be something that could kind of be interesting to me so after reading his book i started looking over i started doing some research of credit cards in brazil that i could have way more rewards and i saw a few i would have like some cashback some more points for like traveling and things like that and yeah but in general with my my one in brazil i didn't see anything and i even searched like within the bank for for like higher credit cards like higher level credit cards that could be more interesting again the rewards are really shitty and my bank bank is something there like it's a big one in the whole world after reading this book i'm starting to get smarter with my rewards and things like that and i think that this is one of the big things that we sleep on is when we don't have the information we don't know which are which benefits we could have we don't know how we can leverage this amount of money that we are already spending and when i did a call with my dad i was asking him about like whether i could get an account in a bank in brazil that's called itaú so i was asking him if i could have like a sub account from his account and have like all of the benefits that he has and i was telling him about the thing when he was like but why are you so obsessed with cashback and things like that and he was like you know that there's no free lunch you know that you can't you're never gonna have anything for free especially from banks i was like i don't want anything for free i'm just saying that what i already have is so low that anything above this i'm happy with it you know because I don't have cashback. My travel, my point system is shit. So I don't have any rewards from this bank. I'm even paying them to be there. You know, it's not a, a big amount of money, but it's still like something like anything above that. Even if it's like fucking 5% above that, I'm already happy with it because I'm already getting nothing from this, you know? So, so then he was like, yeah, okay, now I understand because he has more benefits. But yeah, I think that there's so much in this that they have like this hate hate relationship with banks and i think that they have a lot of information that you have to really like pick them to to get this information or you just like not like instead of like just researching by by yourself and then you go you go to them and it's just really unfortunate yeah it's so interesting if you have like a good relationship with the banker like the person who is at the higher level who can like open the accounting, give you more credit. Like they can give you more. It's just that if you go through like the traditional, you know, like the automated system online or just like a normal teller at the bank, like they, a lot of the times I have actually worked at a bank. It was very short lived because like their their system on the back end, it was just like I was coding a website. Like it made no sense. So 
it didn't last long. They don't have all of the information. And that's why when you actually build a relationship with the person who is behind the desk, who has, who's worked there and that's like their career, it's not just the bank teller or like the automated system or when you call someone, that's when you can really start to make things happen. And so one other thing that I wanted to note as well for anybody who is looking to get started with credit, and this could pertain also to business credit if you're looking to get started in a new country under your business, which is very difficult because a lot of the times you will have to have like a personal influence in that country. So like you will have to have the the social security number or like whatever it may be in order for them to actually create a business credit entity, but is secured cards. So secured cards for both business and personal, maybe it's a little bit easier probably for most people for personal, but they can be beneficial getting into a new system. So a secured card is basically where you have a credit card, but it will come out of your bank. So it's not, there's no like unlimited spending or there's a limit to it. So the limit could be like, it's going to be a very low limit, maybe like $300 or $600. And then that just helps you start building credit. And once they see like, okay, it's been paid off, it's been paid off in full and on time and all of the things you're doing everything right, then the secured with that cardholder can then transition sometimes, not always, but can transition into a non-secured card, which is most cards that we use every day. But yeah, so in terms of business, I it's been really interesting for me because so the American credit system is just, while it's not perfect, the cards there are the best cards that you will ever be able to get in the world. The points that you can get for, for not just travel, for literally anything, the point and the benefits are really where you want to be. And so if you're American, this is this is easy. If you're American, like there's there's no problem. As a single person, you have an SSN, you once you're 18, you can get into the credit system, no problem. But for those of us who are not American, there are certain ways if you set yourself up properly that you can actually get into the American credit system, which is really interesting. And I don't think enough people know about this. So you would have to, unless you're going to become like a green card holder, which I really don't recommend unless you have to be in the US. What you're going to do is you're going to have to like structure your business or your setup. And I'm not just saying go create a business in the US. Like that is not always going to be beneficial. But if it is beneficial for you and your taxes and wherever you're a resident of, then in some cases it, it might make sense for you to set up a US LLC, a US S Corp, whatever it's going to look like. I don't know what the best structure for your business is going to be. But once you have that set up and it, it works for you and for whatever reason, you know, this is the structure that I have and it works for me and how I've structured my my finances, my residencies, like all of them. you can then apply for an ITIN number. So you'll have an EIN, which is kind of just like the employer identification number, like very standard for your business. And then you can apply for the ITIN number. So the ITIN number is the taxpayer number. So if you don't have an SSN, which is the social security number that you'll get in whatever country you're born. If you don't have that, so you're not American, then your business will be able to apply for the ITIN number. Once you have the ITIN number, which does take time, and we can help with that if you're interested, but it takes probably about 10 months. So there is a cost and there is some time involved with it. You have to kind of file a report saying that you have income, like there's a few steps to it. But once you file that, once you have waited, you have your ITIN number, you can then use that number to start applying for credit. So you don't need to personally be in the U.S. as a person. Your business has the ITIN, it has the EIN, your business is fully set up and structured and paying tax or potentially not paying tax, however it's structured in the U.S. 
And then from there, you can actually get access. I would recommend to start with the lower cards. You're not going to start with like crazy limits or anything like that, but you can get access to different credit cards. And like I said, there's so many credit cards in the U.S. that a lot of them, especially if you're signing on with a new financial institution, a new whatever it may be, like credit loan, whatever it may be, you can then potentially get 0% interest. And so you have access to, it'll go up over time. Maybe it'll start with like five or 10,000, depending on how much is in your business bank account and what that looks like. But you can then start to get interest-free loans. And so for a lot of these are for 12 to 18 months. Again, it can depend. It also depends if you have a relationship with the bank manager or if you're just going through the online portal, it's going to look a lot different. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but you can essentially get potentially a 0% loan. And then you can withdraw that money, take it out and use it to fund your business. A lot of the businesses that I have heard of who have done this are e-commerce or real estate business because of course not. You you you, you want to be sure that it's money that you're going to make back because if you take the money out and then in 12 or 18 months you can't pay it back, then of course that's going to be a detriment to your business. So it doesn't necessarily go back and report to your personal, which is nice. Um, and then different cards come report to different credit companies. So they might not all report to the same company. So your credit score might actually look different depending on which company you check it with. Um, there's three, three or four main companies in the U.S. where they'll report back to. But as long as you know that it's going to be successful, maybe you've done this business before and you know the business model works, you just need to actually have the funding. And for whatever reason, you can't get the funding. I mean, it's not easy to get funding. You can get potential tens of thousands or even $100,000. If you've been doing it for a while, you pay back the loans, the loan, the interest rates get higher. The more that you apply for these different cards, you can continue to just get more and more money for your business. So it's really interesting. It's not something that I really recommend for everyone to start with. What I would recommend more so is to just get into the system, get the ITIN number, get into the system so that you can start applying for just any type of card. It doesn't need to be a 0% interest loan, but you could start applying for any type of card, start building your credit score. And then as time goes on, you'll be able to get access to better and better cards for your business. Oh, so much information stored in such a tiny head. Yours. <laughs> yeah, I, I just find all of this stuff so interesting. And, you know, it's a journey that I have personally been down myself. So it is something that I like to share with people. And like I said, like, if you do actually want this setup and want the ITN, like, it's a process. I would say all of this takes over a year from start to finish to really set up. But it doesn't start with your business and your LLC most of the time, especially as a non-American. It starts with where are you established? Where are you paying taxes? Why is your business established in the U.S.? Like it can't just be established in the U.S. if all of your clients are in India or China. You know, it could be, but is that going to make the most sense? Probably not. So it has to make sense for you as well. And then once everything is structured properly, then you can go down this path and start applying. Oh, but you want to make sure it's also something that you're going to be able to pay off in the future. And I feel like that is not because there are other people who do similar things to this and who help with that, but it's not talked about enough where it has to be a business model that you know and you understand and that's well established. You could be in the hole for tens of thousands or even more of dollars over a period of time, not just over 12 months, but you need to make sure that it's something that you actually are confident that can have a good return on your money, that you're not only going to be able to pay it off, but you're going to be able to make a pretty good profit in the business as well and then be able to pay it off. That's the one of the most important things when you should really 
take into consideration your individuality and how you're setting up yourself in your business and blah, 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 to make sure that you're able to pay, you're not putting yourself in any extreme debt and things like that. And I think that that is overall with the credit system and credit and using credit cards and things like that. Even if you are going to pay something in installments, making sure that you are about like you're able to pay. I think that that's like a very important thing is to not close your eyes and like, ah, I don't care. Like I'm just like paying things. It's really to be at least like minimally aware of what you're spending. You know, sometimes I don't like looking at my bank account every day. I hate doing like budgeting or Excel sheets or I don't know, all of these things. But I think that it's so important to have like an awareness of where your money is going to. Like recently, I was just looking at my credit card statement and I saw that I had like four payments for Apple. And I was like, what What is this? Because I know that I'm, I, I know of like one or two things that I pay Apple, but like four or five different things. I'm like, I don't know. I know I pay for iCloud. I know there's one app that I'm subscribed to. I was like, where is my money going? I had access to two different iCloud accounts in the past like one or two year one year and I was like this doesn't make sense because I looked for it on my main email I looked it I looked up uh, the statement on my secondary email I couldn't find what were those payments referring to so then I remembered that I had another email connected to another account and I had like I don't know a couple of like it wasn't a lot it was like 10 15 dollars I don't know every month for the past but it's like every month for the past one or one year and a half coming out of my bank account connected to two different apps that I didn't even know. like those apps that are even either not on my phone anymore or like are off off downloaded I don't know because I didn't even use them so I was paying like 10 or 20 dollars every month to these things that I didn't even know what they were that I was paying them connected to like an email that I didn't even use anymore. And I think that there's a lot of people kind of like losing small amount of money, but that amount to a big, especially in a period of one or two years or how, how many years, that just because we're not aware of them, just because we're not aware of what's coming, what's going and things like that. I feel like that is actually the most important thing when it comes to credit cards. And it's so basic. So I feel like people often overlook it, but it's check your statement, like I check my statement, sometimes my bank accounts, I, I don't really, no, I use like credit for literally everything because I want the point. Just check wherever your money is coming out of, whether it be bank accounts or especially credit cards, because people can, and while you're traveling too, people can steal the numbers. They can, I, I don't know, the, there's machines where you can like just take it. And so that's why I always use that, the RFID protector for my passport, for like anything with any type of chip. But people can steal that and use it. And I've actually had that happen, I think, twice. Um, it was years ago. It wasn't when I was traveling, thankfully. But I also like using credit cards because they understand that that's a risk and they will, not all the time, but if it's not something that happens frequently, they will reimburse you for that charge. So it's kind of like a knife. This really terrible thing happens, then you know that they can rely. Whereas if it's your debit card, like, sorry, that money is, that money is gone. Your FDIC insurance is not going to be covering you for that because likely that was your fault. You lost your card. You didn't block your card once it was locked. Check your statement. Check it like two or three times a month just to see like, okay, is everything up to date? Everything's happening. And then sometimes like I'll get refunds. So I also want to make sure that the refunds get processed onto the card. So just keep up to date with whatever is happening on your card. Don't assume that your credit card company is just like doing everything properly because 
there can be technical errors on their end, technical errors on like payment processors that you're using your credit card with refunds not going back properly. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been another really interesting episode of our Digital Nomad Digest segment on the podcast out every single Friday with myself and Cami. All of our links are below. If you do want to reach out to us, you have any questions from this episode or any other episodes, and feel free to check out all of those links. That is where we live in the online space. So thank you for joining us here today and we will see you in next week's episode. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials and of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey and I'll see you in the next episode.